Hey, before we get started with today's episode, we want to say thank you to everyone who's helping to grow our podcast. Please keep sharing with your friends and follow Crime Off The Grid on Facebook and at Crime Off The Grid Podcast on Instagram. Hey there. If you like true crime stories and you love being in the great outdoors, you have come to the right place. I'm Tara, your host. Welcome to Crime Off the Grid, Ranger Tales Edition. Hey, welcome everyone to Crime Off the Grid, Ranger Tales Edition. Today we have my good friend and longtime ranger, Alice Seebecker. Hi, Alice. Hi, Tara. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us today. Alice, tell us a little bit about your esteemed career in wild places. Oh, boy. Okay. So it's about all I ever did. Um, worked about seven different national parks, a forest, a national forest, and the U.S. Customs Agency. And did that from when I was in college till I retired. So what were some of those parks that you worked? Some of the national parks I worked in recreational areas were Glen Canyon National Recreation Area, um, Santa Monica Mountain National Recreation Area, Joshua Tree National Monument at that time when I worked there, it's now National Park, Um, uh, Valley Forge National Historic Park. Oregon, of course, Crater Lake National Park, and um, which then what I we're talking for, about today. That's right. That's right. And then I worked at um, up in the Sierra National Forest, and then I worked in Glacier National Park. I didn't work for the Park Service. I worked for U.S. Customs on the Canadian border. Oh wow! I hope I covered them all. Oh, in Yellowstone. No, ah, no, yeah, there you go. Yellowstone, <laughs> Yellowstone, that was the last park in your career, right? You retired when you were from Yellowstone. Yes, I did. Yes, I which did. Is, which is how I know you. Well, cool. Well, I know you have an amazing story that you have told me a few times before, and I thought we've got to share this because this is a crazy story. And it takes place in Crater Lake National Park. But can you tell us a little bit about Crater Lake? Yeah, Crater Lake is this gorgeous park in South Central Oregon, closer to the uh, California border. And it was set aside because of the volcanics in the Cascade Range. And it's this gorgeous crater. It's about six miles wide with a beautiful lake in the bottom of it. It stays about the same level just because it's reached this homeostasis. And the whole park is just lovely. I mean, it's, it's a beautiful place to be. There are state highways that crisscross it. It gets incredible amounts of snow in the wintertime. And I did spend one winter there too, not just a summer. And um, it's just gorgeous. It's one of my favorite parks. Well, I looked up the National Park Service website and it says the lake itself is 2,000 feet deep. And combined with the water's purity, it gives the lake its remarkable deep blue color. And I didn't realize it was uh, created in... Uh, as long ago as it was. And, and this says yeah. May 22nd, 1902, President yeah. Theodore Roosevelt signed the legislation. Yeah. And the sixth national park in the United States. Fun facts. That's interesting. And it's also 
in law enforcement terms, it's exclu- it's exclusive jurisdiction. As far as I know, could have changed since I, you know, I haven't been there in 40 years plus. No, nope. but I, um, it's, it's it still exclusive. exclusive. Every, yeah, every crime is a federal crime. And it has crisscrossed by state highways. So, but uh, the management of the roads is federal there. So you can go straight through the park two ways. Well, who uh, has law enforcement authority over those state highways as they're going through the park? Believe it or not, park rangers do. Just, uh, just park just service. Just park okay. rangers, yeah. Yep. All right. Well, so tell us your story. What happened uh, years ago when you were at Crater Lake? Well, I was, um, I have to preface it with back then in the early 80s, it was like 80 or, no, it wasn't 1980, it was like 81 and 82. Back then, technology was pretty different than it is today. And so how we did things was probably not as safe as it is today due to technology. Right. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And so our dispatch office was open at eight in the morning and closed at five at night. Yeah, we worked from seven until midnight. Um, so with no dispatch. Yeah. And at that point we were not connected. Yeah. And we weren't connected to the Jackson County dispatchers down, um, about two and a half hours from the park headquarters. We were not now they are. Um, so we were told that we would go on patrol at seven in the morning and that we would make traffic stops and that some nice ranger who woke up at seven in the morning would have their radio on to listen to you as you made your traffic stop. Oh, oh. yes. Yes. And, well, and um, you know, and back was, in those days, <laughs> back in those days, people kind of did do that. Yeah. You would monitor your radio. And if you right. were up at, you were on, at, on duty at eight, the next person on duty, uh, you would monitor your radio when you got up in the morning. That eh, could have been right. about seven, but who knows. We also mm-hmm. drove um, Ford Fairmont, patrol cars, which were um, uh, pretty unreliable in a lot of ways, but that was what we had. Uh, So they would be kind of a light green, mint green with a little cherry on top, we used to call it, Uh, a little rotating light on top. And uh, so (laughs) I, yeah, it's just lovely. And um, so I went out and I was doing patrol down to the south boundary, not on the west side, but um, out towards Chilliquin and down towards Klamath Falls. And um, was went to the south boundary, made a turnaround. People went by me at very high rates of speed. And the lead car happened to be um, a maroon Volvo. And then there was a, a truck and trailer with a boat on it, towing a boat. Now, towing a boat through Crater Lake actually makes sense because you would go straight through the park up to Diamond Lake where people boated. And... Mm-hmm. Um, but the speeding Volvo didn't appear right to me. So I got him, you know, I made my turnaround, got in the Fairmont, punched the accelerator right down and started pursuing the, the people to try to <laughs> get at least to clock them for, uh, right. we had no radar, no radar. Right. Uh, so you would have been them pacing them. them. You'd been pacing them. Yes. And um, I was having a hard time keeping up with them, of course, because it's a Ford Fairmont. Mm-hmm. And I yes. got them, I think, mm-hmm. up to 80 Low. miles an hour. Yeah. Oh, and wow. these were some these were some straight stretches, too. And this part of the highway was pretty smooth, as it had been redone a couple of years before I got there. And uh, about, I don't know, 
I called in that I was doing, but I couldn't get any license plates. I got license plates off the boat and trailer behind this vehicle. Um, but as it turned out, that boat and trailer were not part of this vehicle. They just happened to like the speed he was going. So they went behind. Oh, wow. Fast. Yeah. And um, it was about all of a sudden he seemed to veer off to the right and the truck and the trailer kept going with the boat. And then he still going kind of, he was passing. So he was like letting the boat with the trailer go around him. Yeah. And then all of a sudden he, um, he exploded and um, all this debris fell uh, back on me on the Ford Fairmont and me. And um, the whole car was engulfed in smoke. Um, Very odd. And, um, and I'm, you know, was lots he of things stopped? Is he? No, he wasn't is stopped. He it the... was just, they had oh. long pullouts. They had very long pullouts, okay. and it was just kind of like he had gone to the right through this long pullout, and that's when the truck and trailer just kept going. I, um, at the same time, the debris showered down on me. My Ford Fairmont inexplicably died. Just oh, died. Just stopped right there, and I, um. I was able to get it to the side of the road. And at the meantime, his car went flying through the air off the edge of this particular pullout into the Annie Springs Canyon, which was to the right of the road as you headed north on that state highway. And Is that the like Annie down Springs, a canyon? Yeah, it's not a, it's all pumice, worn pumice. It's like um, if you've ever been in, uh, places that people call the hoodoos and badlands oh, yeah. and things like that. Mm-hmm. That's what it looks like down below. And it's, um, it's very colorful too. It's very pretty, but no one can go down in it because it's totally dangerous to go down oh. in that Canyon uh, because of the looseness of the pumice and everything like that. Well, his car went diagonally along the edge until it shot through the air and it ended up on a, um, kind of a spur ridge going into the canyon and nosed in because it was so soft it nosed right into the pumice wow um nothing i could get to very readily but um so i have to tell you that my background as uh, as a kid growing up in uh, new england in southern connecticut probably helped me on this because um i lived in a very nice town on the coast where there was organized crime and oh. <laughs> um, I know, I know it may sound strange, but people's houses blew up there who were part of the organized crime world. We were not. Oh, there no big deal. We just saw explosions there. all the time. But you yeah. saw explosions and, you know, and you'd go, mom, what happened to that house? And she goes, oh, something oh. happened there. And we keep Probably going. Probably mob. Oh, well. Yeah, we don't say anything. Oh. And uh, so yeah. I had that in my background. Plus, um, prior to this, my seasonal supervisor, Mary and Jack told me about organized crime and uh, mafia uh, connections in Klamath Falls and that they had had, they had had a person tied uh, probably five six years prior to me getting there they had a person tied to one of the large ponderosa trees in the southern part of the park right on the boundary there with a pipe bomb wrapped around them and oh my gosh um, This sounds like another story we can cover. Yeah, I don't. This one might have to go through historical records because I'm not sure anybody was alive that that dealt with that. But he had told me that. 
And this whole thing, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, in my head, I'm flashing, this is another pipe bomb incident. This is really weird. And so, you know, I got out of my car, got my binoculars, looked into the vehicle as best as I could. And I have to tell you, I mean, it was pretty gory from my point of view. Um, Did not look like anybody survived um, whatever had happened to the vehicle, but I could see that the whole vehicle was uh, perforated. Mm. by by that point i just thought well metal fragments you know thinking it was a pipe bomb or something yeah and so i i I would just i called it in you know at that point i called it right in to anybody i could get and i finally got someone on their radio who was listening to me and um they they did get people headed my direction at that point but at so I w- did is I kind of went along the edge of the Annie Springs and I kind of binoculared in on the guy and looked around and I'm like, this, this guy's done. He's toast. There's right. nothing going to happen here. And um, so I waited until they arrived. And at that point um, they were all surprised. Let me tell you, I mean, things like this just don't happen every day. So well, right. um, well what did you say when you called it in? Oh, uh, I'm at, this location Any, and a yeah, this location, and there's been um, some type of an explosion with a vehicle. I think that's what I probably said. And yeah. there's, uh, uh, you know, probably a uh, probable fatality. And, and did um, they say, "Can you repeat that, please?" <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> I can't remember that well. Can you repeat sure that? Like, Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, so everybody headed that direction, and I have to say that my bosses back then and my my uh, other sup- uh, supervisors in between the chief and everybody were, were fantastic um, rangers, um, very supportive, you know, and they essentially what they did was allowed me to be involved in the investigation because I was a seasonal employee and um, I basically did the report with my boss's <laughs> okay. Yeah. And yeah, that, wouldn't, that he, probably wouldn't happen today. <laughs> no, 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 no. It was back then, you know, and they mm-hmm. were really good about, um, they took me away from the accident scene for a little bit just to kind of give me a breather and then brought me back. And I said, I'm mm-hmm. fine. You know, I'm good. And, um, I'm just thinking to myself the whole time, it wasn't me. And, um, so right. that's why I was fine because that's what you come down to was that car or me. And I don't know what right. happened to my Fairmont, but they had to tow it away because it never started up again. And, oh, um, wow. yeah, and they, they told me just a side note that the mechanics at the garage at Crater Lake, they cleaned it out with diesel fuel and cleaned all the carbon out of it and it ran again. <laughs> and so, um, oh. It was, it was one of those things. It was just one of these strange things that um, sometimes you think there's another power helping exactly. you out. Yeah. And yeah. Um, had, had it not stopped it and had it not completely stopped, had it not you, who knows like that, you, you know, who knows yeah. what would have happened yeah. to me, you know, so might have um, run right into that. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I was um, uh, there the entire day. It was an entire day phenomenon of, getting tow trucks, getting um, all these different ways to extract the vehicle out of there. And then um, ex- we extracted the the victim, the driver at that point, out of there mm-hmm. and, um, you know, got the coroner and everything and got uh, FBI was right. involved. And, and my boss 
to his credit, I mean, he he heard the FBI, they ran the guy, you know, as much as we could find on there. There was a trunk load full of of, of firearms, uh, trunk load full of makeup and wigs and um, oh. identities. Identities. This man was an identity wow. thief was what he um, what he was specialized in. And right, of course, in the window uh, area in the door window, he had a semi-auto in there. Um, he had a gun under the seat. You know, he was well equipped. And um, the car. And you, you had know, your I, revolver. <laughs> yeah, just me. Just me. And yeah. Uh, and back then um, you just had a revolver and he's sitting with a semi-auto he's, pistol he's well, in his, yeah, his car door. Yeah. Well taken care of. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, back then um, when you run a check on a vehicle, um, it didn't come back for quite a while. So the first time they phoned, mm-hmm. they have to phone, our dispatchers had to phone into the Jackson County dispatch, the county dispatch, and run checks. You know, and it came back as fine, right? Yeah. Then it came back later in the day as stolen, the vehicle did. And it was an overdue oh. rental car from San Diego. Of course. California mm-hmm. plates on it. And, um, and then we, you know, by that time we started, we had the bomb squad there. Um, they did their deal. Um the bomb squad, I have to tell you, the bomb squad, their method was, let's open the trunk. And he would go up and stand to the side, put his put the key in the trunk, right? And my bosses, they all walked away along with me. And my boss put his fingers in his ears. <laughs> I kid yeah. you not. <laughs> wow. And, I guess they probably yeah. so used to not having any bombs every time they go. Wow. Whose job is that? I know. I would want that job. I, no, I'm like, come on, dude. We're all like, come on, dude. And then when he opened, and then he took out, there was a briefcase in the back uh, in the trunk too, which he took out and it was going to do the same thing, trying to open. And we all walked away again, and my bosses all put their fingers in their ears, and they're wow. just shaking their heads. What was in the briefcase? Um, it was makeup. I think it was makeup. Some paperwork. Oh. Um, cause he had, he had makeup bags and wigs and all this stuff. And it was just like, what is he, you know, at first it's like, huh? Wow. Oh, oh. And then we saw the different IDs that he had. I think we found the IDs maybe that he had for different people. And when we were able to contact the one, um, the one guy that was the most recent one that had been totally financially ruined, um, he said he met him somewhere in Georgia or something. And then somehow he was at a bar or something and the guy got his credit card and was able, or his license and was able to do a whole new thing ID. And this is how this guy ran up. He used that guy for a long time, ruined the man. The man was appreciative that the man was dead, that Mershevsky's was dead. And then one of my coworkers, one of the ranger supervisors there, he says, I know this sounds funny, but the Michelin tires withstood the blast on the Volvo. Oh, and he, <laughs> that would be a good said, plug. They should have made a commercial. Buy Michelin. Buy Michelin. And um, the Volvo <laughs> you know, was completely destroyed, of course. But I have to say, Volvos did very well for that type of impact. That yeah. it took. And yeah. um, the more we looked at the interior of the car that we were able to piece together, uh, was that the fact was, and it was pretty easy to see um, from the condition of the victim, and was is that he had a hand grenade, he pulled the pin, had his mm. right hand on the steering column, and then was going to throw it out the window at me, but he forgot to roll the window down. 
Yeah, because back then those were crank <laughs> crank windows. Right. They weren't electric. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you probably um, should have rolled it down first and first, then pulled the pin. And then pulled the pin. But he had been up all night <laughs> apparently driving from San Diego and this just was not one mm. of his Right. I mean, yeah. his hand and his arm was in, you know, frozen in that action. And then there was wow. the dip in the steering column where the grenade had gone off. And, wow. um, and the, the pin, we found the pin on the passenger side floor, I think, somewhere over there. So I, again, thanked my lucky stars. And we went on from there doing an investigation. The FBI thought he committed suicide. That, my hmm. boss said, and the reason they thought that was was that he had been he had a girlfriend and the girlfriend they were living in San Francisco and the girlfriend had not shown up she was going to fly home to Michigan to where her parents were and uh, her parents said she never showed up and they mm-hmm. never found her and he had a so-called uh warehouse of uh, he was an import exporter and then it became obvious through investigations that he was also a gun runner and that he was a German national and oh. that, um, yeah. And that he was um, expert at imitating other people and impersonating them and then running up their credit cards wherever he could, he would run up debts on oh. different people. Anyway, he was a German national. Then he was known on the Mexican border. And back then, I don't think that I think the Mexican border had a lot of holes in it. Um, I mean, easy to easy to cross, right? Yeah, he'd been known. Mm-hmm. He had he'd been known for having um, uh, firearms battles, gun battles with um, whether it be the Mexican police or other cartels. He was known for it, and the, he they have been like trying the to, movies. I know, I know, and they've been trying to pin things on him, but for whatever reasons, who knows, they hadn't, and that's why he stole that vehicle, because he was on the run. He'd also been found outside of, I think, Fort Campbell in Washington State, was identified, trying to get either break in or do a deal to get more hand grenades and other firearms illegally. He then also had an address I think in Saginaw, Michigan, maybe. And he would have, he had this, my boss talked to the local police chief there. And the local police chief said, yeah, it's the oddest thing. He says, there's a phone, a wire phone, you know, because there's no cell phones back then. And um, there was a wire phone attached to a tree on this large lot that was on a lake. And Just a vacant lot. A vacant lot, but he would have, he would like, they would see people gathering there at this lot and then disappear and gather and disappear. And they, and they never had anything that they could, you know, get them on. Um, but the local police chief knew about it. So, wow. you know, I mean, the guy had quite a varied life and uh, very strange to the point where I'm thinking we even I we identified him too with one fingerprint. I think that they could do what was left of him with his remains. And I remember I was working in Yellowstone, and one of my supervisors, who was then in the regional office in Seattle, called me. He says, "Hey, he says I'm getting a call from um, the prison down in Alpine, Texas, where there's a guy there that says Andrew Marshevsky says calling him and uh, and." 
and, and warning him and threatening him. And he's saying this Andrus Mershevsky is coming after him. And, and my, my boss asked me, he goes, and that's the name of this guy, right? Exactly that. And he says, yeah, he says, did we ID him? I said, oh yeah. I said, I remember that exactly when I came through with, with, so this was years later, years later. Wow. And I said, I remember when, when um, Daryl Cook, you know, was my boss. I said, when he got the positive ID that that came through as, and that's how we were able to do the whole report. And um, so somebody else was impersonating the guy who impersonates everyone. Apparently so. Years later. Huh. Years later. Yeah. There's so much out there. We don't know, Tara. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. This would, this really would make a great uh, movie. I'd watch it. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you know, I mean, it has kind of a sudden end to it, but it's like, yeah, you know, when you backtrack people's lives, it really gets interesting, you know? Yeah. Well, can and, you go back to the the girlfriend he had and you said she never yeah. showed up? Never did, showed did up. She ever never, knew. and she was never found. And so was he suspected in some? Yes. yes, of murdering her. Okay. And maybe possibly yeah. homicide. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and at the was, time that uh, he died, go ahead. Uh-huh. Yeah, at the time he died, that's what the FBI wanted him for. That's they were they were. Oh, looking so for he, him. he. Okay, so he had an active warrant already not for his really arrest and <laughs> no. Okay, okay, not really. He was just for nothing. Huh? He had no yeah, they, warrants they, for anything. Person, you, yeah, he was a person of interest, so they knew about him when they looked into him. Mm-hmm. But they. Well, I'm sure he had to think when he was, yeah, when he was running from you that um, this is kind of what happens a lot of times is they assume the jig is up, or as soon as you stop them, you're going to figure out who they are, and then they're going to yeah. go to jail. So yeah, that's why it was yeah. so important for him to flee, and he was not going to yeah. go to jail. Do you know if he ever spent no. any time in jail? You know, I don't think so. From our knowledge back then, I don't mm-hmm. think so. I think he was just known for being an issue, but no one ever, again, I mean, I, I don't, I forget how hard it was to try to do work back then. That was tough. Yeah. My phone yeah, call, tedious letters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Faxes, right. You know, I mean, yeah. I don't no. even think they had faxes back then. Maybe they didn't. Oh, don't say that. No. I don't know. <laughs> I, don't I don't know. think they did. They didn't they barely had Xerox yeah. machines. No. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Wow. Alice, that's, that's an amazing story. Thank you so much for sharing it. You're so welcome. You're so welcome. Yeah, I think people don't I think people don't realize that a park ranger's job is every bit as dangerous as any police officer anywhere. And like you mm-hmm. just said, and it's really not all that better today as far as remoteness and technology. Cell phones don't work in a lot of national parks right. or wild places. It's really right. not that much better as far as communications for assistance and backup. It's so totally true. All right. Well, that's it for today for Ranger Tales. Uh, Thanks again. And happy trails, everybody. And watch out for the company you keep. Hey, before you go, we'd love to hear from you. Please visit our website at www.crimeoffthegrid.com. And send us a story suggestion or leave a comment at crimeoffthegrid at gmail.com.